It was a cold day on January 25th, 1990, when Avianca flight number 52, a Boeing 707, was coming in from Bogota, Colombia, flying into JFK in New York. The 158 passengers had just finished watching a Sean Connery movie and eating a dinner of chicken and rice when at 9.34, each of the four engines sputtered and died. Uh, the plane plummeted, crashing just 15 miles from the runway, killing 73 passengers and eight of the nine crew members. The investigation would later conclude that they simply ran out of gas. The report identified two major problems. The first was poor fuel management. Though they took on enough fuel originally to get to New York City, they did not plan on circling for more than an hour in a holding pattern because of the ice and snow that was below. The second problem was that the crew obviously did not communicate their dire situation clearly enough. Though they did report low fuel levels, they did not use the proper aviation terms that would have triggered an immediate emergency landing. And so the demise of Flight 52 was tragic and yet avoidable. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, church family, this morning the odds are extremely low that you'll ever be on an airplane that runs out of gas. But the chances are actually high that you may face a similar danger when your physical and emotional and spiritual fuel tanks drop dangerously close to empty. In that case, you might be in danger of crash landing your life. Now, perhaps you're here this morning and maybe that's you. Perhaps you are feeling burnt out right now. All the demands of life that everyone else is putting on you require more fuel than you have. Or maybe seven months into this pandemic has left you totally empty. You are running on fumes and you frankly have not done a great job communicating how dire your situation is. Perhaps you're feeling empty at work or maybe you're feeling empty in your marriage, or maybe you're feeling empty in some other realm of your life. And so our question this morning as we approach the Word of God is a sober one. Does the Bible provide any help for those who are feeling spiritually empty, burnt out, sitting under dark, dark clouds? Is there any real hope for renewal? The answer to that question I think we can find in 2 Kings chapter 4. It's a miracle story of the prophet Elisha. We're in our series through 1 and 2 Kings. The king on the throne is named Jehoshaphat in Judah. Uh, but the writer of Kings is clearly not just a historian. He's a prophet historian who has a theological interpretation of history. And that's why the prophets play such a major role in this narrative, not just because of their interaction with the kings as they speak the truth to power, but because of the role they played in this society. The most prominent figure at the beginning of 2 Kings is the prophet Elisha. We met him last week. Remember, he prayed for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Remember, he had twice as many miracles recorded performed by him as Elijah. He performs at least 16 miracles that are recorded in the scriptures. And so today, what I just want to do is take a close lens and just look at one of those miracle stories with you together. Just a real laser focus here on chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. We find here, as Pastor Bob read earlier, a very desperate woman. 
She's grief-stricken, and she is buried under piles of inherited debt. She is spiritually and emotionally and financially on empty. There's three parts to the message. We'll see the problem, the solution, and the application. Pray with me as we begin. Father, thank you so much for preserving these words that it might be an encouragement to those who feel spiritually empty in your body today. I pray, God, that you would breathe a fresh breath of wind from your Holy Spirit into our souls. Uh, Thank you, Spirit, for not only inspiring these words, but we thank you that you are also the one that can illuminate them and open up our minds and ears and, most of all, our hearts so that we might hear not from a preacher today, because we really don't need that, so that we might hear from you today in your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me again at verse 1, would you? It says, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, quote, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. So you got the situation? Former husband, he was in the ministry. Remember, we learned about the school of the prophets last week. Remember the freshman kid who threw his axe head into the river? Remember them? He's one of these people in the school of the prophets. This person has died. Remember, you may also remember during this time, the prophets are severely persecuted by Ahab and Jezebel. They're chasing them down. They're hiding in caves. This family has been suffering. Now her husband is dead. These are hard times. And I just want to make a very explicit point right in the beginning of the message today, and it's simply this. Serving the Lord does not exempt you from trials. Please listen to this. I think this is really important. I find this misunderstanding everywhere I look today. Following the Lord Jesus can be a wonderful experience with many, many blessings. But if you honestly think that because you came to faith in God, as a result, he's promised you some sort of tragedy-free life, guarantee you no hurts or enemies or sicknesses or financial problems or spiritual or emotional uh, emptiness, if you think that Jesus has promised to put you in some kind of protective bubble where nothing bad will ever happen to you, the problem with that way of thinking is, is if and when those things do come, I should say when they do come in your life, and they will, you will not go running to God for the strength and comfort and peace that he offers you. Instead, in that moment, you will run away from God in bitterness and anger, and that is not a very good place to be. But the problem is not God. The problem is our misguided expectation. See, the New Testament is clear, right? We are not yet home. We are sojourners, aliens. Jesus said, in this world, you will have what? Trouble. This is a fallen world. Here's this ministry family. They're enduring a very difficult trial. Her husband has died. Now, on top of her grief, She's buried under piles and piles of debt. She's desperate. It's overwhelming. She can't pay it back. She's, she's, it's about to get worse. She's, she's facing the, the, the very difficult circumstance of having to perhaps sell her children as indentured servants. Child, laws are, child labor laws are clearly in place for a reason, but not, not back then. She could lose custody of her kids over this. Could you just imagine how distressing and disheartening this is for this woman? Remember before the pandemic started back in February, we all were aghast at that story that came out about uh, basketball star Kobe Bryant along with his daughter Gianna dying tragically in a helicopter crash. Can you imagine what Kobe Bryant's wife Vanessa was and is still going through as she lost her husband and her child unexpectedly on the same day? That's 
the kind of grief on top of grief that I think this woman is experiencing here, that's a little bit comparable to this situation. This woman is desperate. She has nowhere else to turn but to God and God's messenger, which is what she does, right? She says, I can't, but she also says, he can. I can't, but he can. And let me point one other thing out. The Bible is really clear that the fall of mankind has been difficult and hard, and it affects all of us. It's pervasive, it is overwhelming, and we all are affected by the fall. But there is one particular group of people that have been affected by the fall more harshly and more tragically than the rest. Those are the orphans and the widows. These individuals have a special place in the heart of God. This is why we find in the law in Exodus chapter 22, where God says to this, he says this, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry. And so if you're in that kind of similar situation, if you're a single mom, if you're a child who's lost a parent, I want you to know that you have the attention of the living God, that you are not forgotten, that he is watching you. Move on to verse 2, would you? It says, Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? He says, tell me, what do you have in your house? Did you notice the two questions? First, he says, how can I help you? In other words, what exactly would be helpful for someone who's in your exact situation? This is a good model for those of us in benevolence ministry, by the way. We should investigate the situation, find out what the need is and what would exactly be helpful before we just throw money at the problem. But I want you to notice more carefully his second question. He says this, what do you have in your house? Did you see that question? Man, that question has been bothering me all week. What do you have in your house? I, I answer that question. Would you this morning in your own heart, whether you answer it literally or figuratively, how would you answer a prophet's question if he came to you and said, what do you have in your house? I want you to think about that. We're going to come back to it later. First, look how she answers. Your servant has nothing here at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Notice her words. Nothing except. Do you see that? Nothing except. Those of you who are parents listening out there today who have little kids in your home, do you ever go into your cabinet or your fridge or your pantry and, and you reach for an item that should be in there? After all, the box or the bag is still in the pantry or the fridge or the, you know, but you look into the box and you want to grab like a Nutrigrain bar or something that's supposed to be in there, but yet the box is empty. There's nothing in that box. The child has put it back into the pantry, empty. Am I the only parent who has that experience? Any other, can I get an amen out there from the parents? Yeah, that's the kind of feeling I think she has here as she looks into her cupboard and says, no, there ain't nothing, nothing much in here. Nothing except. She certainly can't see how this small jar could amount to anything sufficient in comparison to the payment that she needs to make, much less save her sons. Now, Elisha did not ask her how much she had. Elisha asked her what she had, implying that whatever she had would be what our God would choose to work with. Did you notice that? Now today, you and I could just go to the shop right or the Costco and get that big old thing of olive oil, right? No problem. But back then, this was a very valuable item. I mean, you have to, first of all, plant and grow the olives, and then you got to 
obviously cultivate them, and then there's the harvest season, and then there's the crushing, and uh, olive oil was, was extremely valuable. They used it not just for dietary purposes, but they used it also for medicine. It was used on the battlefield to oil their weapons, and of course, it was used for perfumes and ointments and, and lotions. It did have some value. But the principle I think we need to understand today is when we are feeling spiritually empty, we may not see the value of what we have. And so let me just make this very explicit for you. Brothers and sisters, you might have something in your house that you don't think is valuable that God actually wants to use greatly. You might have something in your house that you don't think is very valuable, but God wants to use it greatly. What do you have in your house? Because in order for God to use it, first you have to recognize that you have it. What do you have in your house? Friends, your oil is your talents. It's your resources. It is your possessions. It is your time. It is your education. It is your relationship network. It is even your dreams that God has placed on the inside of you as desires inside of your heart that he wants to give you to make a difference. What do you have in your house? Do you realize the value of what you have? Or do you often speak like this woman saying, nothing except, nothing except, we are so quick to downplay what we have, aren't we? We downplay what we have as small, as insignificant, as unworthy, as not enough. Have you ever thought like that? Who am I? What difference could I make? What possibly do I have to offer? The problem with that way of thinking is, first, friends, you are made in the image of Almighty God. But secondly, the issue there is not about what you can do. It's about what God wants to do through you. Because the God of the Bible that I read about takes people's weaknesses and then he pours in his strength. That's actually how he gets all of the credit, right? This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power of his greatness belongs to God and not to us. Over 50 years ago, Johnny Erickson Tata was in a tragic diving accident. She was a paraplegic. At first, she went into a deep depression. Talk about being spiritually empty. She prayed and prayed and prayed for healing, but it never came. Recently, she gave a talk where, I'll never forget this talk. She, was, she said, I was sitting by the pool of Bethesda. You know, that's where Jesus healed the lame man in John chapter 5. And she was praying to God, and she was praying this very significant and I think profound prayer. She said, I just was praying to God saying, thank you for all the times you said no when I asked you for healing. And as she said that, I thought, wow, wow. And she said, the reason is because, because God said no, he decided to use my weakness to be a far greater blessing. It was because of my weakness I founded Johnny and Friends. And started a worldwide ministry which gives encouragement and biblical insights and resources to those with special needs all around the world. See, God likes to use the weak things of this world, the, the ordinary things, the mundane things, the things that we think are insignificant from our perspective for His glory. But first, in order for God to use them, we have to surrender them to God. That's not easy. 
I and my own resources, we have to say, don't have it in me. I don't see that I have enough to work with here. We have to say, step one, I can't. Step two, he can. Step three, let him. That's surrender. It didn't take me long when I first got into the ministry as an assistant pastor in Dallas to realize I am totally inadequate for the ministry. But then I realized as the Lord began to teach me, Dave, everything you need for them, you get from me. Everything I need for them, I get from him. Step one, I can't. Step two, he can. Step three, let him. This this is the solution. It starts with this heart of surrender. Is there anything in your life that God is asking you to surrender? Maybe it's not a small thing or an insignificant thing. Maybe it's a really big thing in your life. Maybe it's too big and God is asking you to surrender it to him. A number of weeks ago, a church member here, Mark Malillo, sent me a quote from Sharita Harkness from North Point Church. And I, I, I thought this quote was particularly profound. She said this, God is only willing to multiply what you are willing to surrender. God is only willing to multiply what you are willing to surrender. So what is God asking you to surrender? Is it a talent that you have? Is it your education? Is it, is it a resource that you had? For, for this woman, it was her oil. This is what she would bring as a willing surrender to the Lord. And look how Elisha responds in verse 3. Did you notice? Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to the one side. I want you to notice a couple things about these instructions. First, I want you to notice that there are steps of very tangible obedience that she needed to take. Asking her neighbors for uh, jars. Other steps here are are more private. There's some public obedience going on. There's also some private moments that she's going to have with the Lord. I could say more about the public-private tests in, in another sermon. But for, for now, I want you to notice that Elisha shows great faith here. Did you see that he says, don't ask for just a few? Elisha's like thinking big. Here's this woman. She's spiritually empty. She's desperate. And Elisha's thinking abundantly. So she goes in obedience, collecting the jars, as many as she could gather, big jars, little jars, fat jars, skinny jars, and she begins to carry them back because of the command of the prophet of God. This is her step of surrender. And in doing so, I think that she shows great faith. And in order to show great faith, she has to realize that we serve a really, really big God. See, this is kind of what we need to see and have perspective about when we feel spiritually empty, right? We we need to begin to realize, like Doug read earlier, that God says, I can give you above and beyond all that you ask or even imagine. Right? He's a God of abundance. Jesus said it this way, which of you, if your son asks for uh, bread, would give him a stone? Or if you have a, a son and he asks for fish, would you give him a snake instead? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give good gifts to everyone who asks him? So those of you who are parents, you know how enjoyable it is to give good gifts to your children, right? God says, I'm a father like that. I, I'm the creator of the universe. I, I flung the stars out into the sky. Don't ask me for $2. 
ask me for my presence in your deepest grief and your spiritual emptiness. Ask me to fill you back up. Ask me to save your children like this woman. Ask me to part the Red Sea. Ask me for water from a rock. Ask me to open doors that are shut. Ask me to do more than you could ever imagine. I can do it. I'm a whole lot bigger than you think I am. So don't count them, don't count them out. Don't sell them short. See, John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, said, Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. That's our God. So with a mustard seed of faith, she takes steps of obedience. Look at verse 5. She left him, left the prophet, and, and shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. Now, can you just, just put yourself in the scene here? Imagine if you could have just somehow observed uh, this room. Here's this woman, right? She just lost her husband. She's buried under piles and piles of debt. She's about to lose her two sons. And right in front of her very eyes in the physical realm, she is watching Jehovah Jireh, our God, provide for her every need. And the more she pours, the more oil comes out. And she fills the first jar and puts it aside. And then she starts pouring into the second jar, and that jar gets filled up. She puts that aside, and then the third jar, and on and on and on. Can you just imagine how many jars did it take of the oil flowing before the tears of gratitude started flowing too? This is such a personal moment for her, isn't it? It's such a private moment that we get to view here. Now, as I said earlier, in those days, oil was like liquid money. She is now solvent financially. She was desperate spiritually and financially on empty. But our God, the God Almighty, has filled her tank to overflowing. I think that's what God wants to do for his people. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not preaching a prosperity theology message that says that God necessarily promises earthly riches for our steps of obedience. But I do think the scriptures are clear in Philippians chapter 4 when Paul says, our God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. The blessings of our steps of faith may be material. They may not be material, but they will certainly be blessings. They could be relational blessings or spiritual blessings or even just ministry opportunities. There's lots of ways that our God wants to shine and share his goodness with you, his people. Here's one example. We have a church member here at Millington. His name's Tom. And about a year and a half ago, he wasn't feeling so well and he was ultimately diagnosed with leukemia. Long story short, through a series of divine appointments and redirections, it became very clear that if he, would need, if he, would, if, if he were to survive, he would have to undergo a, a bone marrow transplant. That's a very dangerous procedure. One out of six patients don't make it through that procedure. There's a great risk, and you also have to find a really, really good match, if not a perfect match, in order for that to be successful. This was Tom's need, and he asked the church to pray. His doctor told him that news on a Friday. The following Tuesday, he received a call saying, we think we found a match. The only problem with your match is he lives in Germany. For this procedure to work, guys, there has to be no room for error. First, Tom, he said, you're going to need to go in 
And you're going to need to do all the pre-transplant procedures, including radiation and chemo on yourself prior to the guy giving the donation. You're just going to have to trust that he's going to go through with it. After Tom went through all of the pre-treatment procedures, then his body was ready and the donor would be notified. He would go under general anesthesia in Germany. They would drill 12 holes into his pelvis and extract about a liter of bone marrow fluid. Now, bone marrow fluid has a very short shelf life. As soon as they extracted it, they had to immediately take it, put it into essentially like a beer cooler, Tom said. A volunteer had to go to that hospital, pick it up, get on a plane in Germany, fly all the way to the United States, get on a taxi cab, and drive over to Robert Wood Johnson Hospital. Immediately as soon as they arrived, they began the transplant process with Tom. Tom said the doctor finished the transplant within 10 minutes of the expiration date of the bone marrow. The circumstances of that had to line up perfectly. The timing was impeccable. As Tom shared that story praising the Lord, he said, it's no doubt in my mind that God was all over this entire plan. He said, this month marks one year of my bone marrow transplant surgery. When someone survives a year, they now have a 90% chance of being completely leukemia-free for the rest of their lives. Tom and Cynthia are very grateful for our prayers and support, but most of all, grateful for the goodness of God who's involved in the details of our lives. We must believe that God cares in order to surrender to Him. This was very challenging, I think, for the people of Israel during the age of the kings. They struggled to surrender in faith to God. This is why the prophet Isaiah comes to them in chapter 40 and gives one of the most powerful messages for spiritual emptiness in the whole Bible. He says in verse 21, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and all its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to, to live in it. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and a whirlwind comes and sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? And who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes to the heavens. Who created all these? The one who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name because of his great strength and mighty power. Not one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, why do you complain, O Israel, saying, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He will not grow tired or weary, and of his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even young men grow tired and weary, and youth stumble and fall, but... Those who wait upon the Lord, he will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When we are fearing, feeling spiritually empty, we have to get a glimpse of this powerful God. 
respect to this woman. Can you imagine as she looked around and saw jar after jar after jar filled with oil filling up this room in her house, what she was thinking and what she was feeling in that moment? It wasn't just her oil that made this possible. It wasn't even her faith that made this possible. It wasn't even the miracle powerful working of Elisha that make this, made this possible. This was a sacred encounter with God himself. What a faith builder this was for her. She can't wait to tell Elisha what happened. Look at verse seven. She went, she told the man of God and said, he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. She goes from spiritually empty to overflowing. She goes from not enough to more than enough. Why? She placed her faith in the God of Elisha. She surrendered to him, the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, can you imagine the impact that this miracle had on her two boys? For the rest of their lives, they would be saying, bro, do you remember when mom was about to sell us into indentured servanthood? Yeah, I remember, bro. Do you remember when she told us to go get all the jars from the neighbors and we brought them to the house? And do you remember when she closed the door? And do you remember when she kept on telling us to bring her another jar and bring her another jar? And it kept on, it kept on filling up every single jar. Yeah, I, I remember, bro. This miracle impacted generations to come. What a story. What an amazing God. Now, how does this apply to you and to me? The question I think we need to ask ourselves from this text this morning is, would we be willing to allow God to ask us the same question that Elisha asked this woman here? What do you have in your house? I believe God wants to use what you have. What is in your house that that God could use if you were willing to make it available to him. Maybe it's a talent, or maybe it's an experience that you've had. Maybe it's a resource that you have, or maybe it's even a mistake that you made and, and you learned something and other people could benefit from that. Or maybe it's a weakness that you have where God has shown his strength to be perfect. Maybe it's someone for whom, like Tom is grateful for, Maybe it's donating, donating an organ that you have for someone in need. I don't know the answer to that question for you this morning, but I would invite you to, act, to let the Holy Spirit speak and ask you, what do you have in your house? The invitation from God to us here is, would you be willing to ask God for the courage to open your hands so that he might be able to open his what do you have in your house? There's a couple in our church who asked themselves this question recently. You probably know Steve and Amy Welch. And in their case, it wasn't something in their house. It literally was their house. As they decided to open their home up and, and adopt a second child from China. See, what they had to offer to God was, was their home. It was their family time. It was their resources. It was... It was, to be honest, some of their freedom. But that's the step that they felt the Lord was, was asking them to take. That's what they surrendered to, 
to God. Incidentally, they've been waiting a long time due to this pandemic. They were supposed to pick up their daughter seven months ago, and they would ask that you pray that God would open that door to allow her to come home. But my point is, they were willing to surrender what they had to God and give it into His hands and allow Him to work. So that's the question I'd like you to ask yourself this morning. What do I have in my house? I can't. He can. Let Him. As the worship team comes for one more song, let me just point out one more thing from this text. Each of these stories in the book of First and Second Kings, I believe, points far beyond itself. Each of these kings and each of these prophets look forward towards one who would be much greater than them, don't they? There would be one like Elisha who would come in the future, who would be preceded by an Elijah, so to speak, and he would come into our homes too, and he would see our desperate need there, and he would see that we are enslaved, and he would see that we're in over our heads, and in his mercy and in his grace and in his love, he would perform for us, for me and you, the greatest miracle that has ever been performed. He would die in your place for your sins to pay your debt forever. I encourage you to place your faith in the Elisha who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for preserving this text and these words. Thank you, God, for the way that you call us gently and softly to place our faith in you and to surrender ourselves to you. I especially pray for my brothers and sisters today who are feeling spiritually empty. I pray, God, that they would know that they are not forgotten by you. I pray that they would have an encounter with you, the living God, the God of Elisha, the God who's the same yesterday and today and forever. I pray, God, that you show yourself strong on their behalf. And Lord God, give us all the courage to open up our hands so that you might be able to use what we have for your glory as we willingly offer our resources to you and ask ourselves, what do we have in our house? We ask that you'd multiply these offerings for Christ's sake and for his reputation, we pray. Amen and amen. Can we stand? And I would...